We're living in the age of podcasting, which also means the age of podcast networks with large back catalogs, long-running series, limited programming, and even cross-network collaborations. How are publishers supposed to keep this all organized? With Spreaker, of course. Spreaker's customizable publisher plan lets you organize your content exactly how you want it and gives you enough pod tech tools to monetize the largest back catalogs. If you're into premium offerings for subscribers, check out Spreaker's customized RSS feeds to upload and schedule exclusive content with ease. Or use our campaign manager to manage different campaigns from one central platform. Once your podcast business gets big enough, you can even add multiple networks to one account and collaborators assigned to each one. That helps keep the true crime series away from the comedy podcasts and make sure you get the advertisements that will resonate the most with your listeners. So let's move from the age of podcasting to the age of the podcast network with Spreaker. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Welcome to The Porch. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, examining the Word of God, the book of Acts churches, where we are right now. We are in preparation for Pentecost this weekend, Passover and Resurrection Sunday will overlap. So we are talking about these things at exactly the right time taking a deeper look at how the early church served the Lord, how the Holy Spirit used them so he can use us and we can shake this world one last time before the return of the king. Church age is still in effect. The fire from that day of Pentecost still falls, is still available. The Porch is an outreach, Solomon's Porch, Inc. Go to solomonsporch.org if you want to contact us or... You could just go to firefalltalkradio.com. Go there, reach out to us, use the contact button, also ways to support us. Make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site. For all of our blog talk listeners, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, welcome. But specifically to our blog talk listeners, make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site. Because before the end of the year, or definitely by the end of the year, I will no longer be keeping the Blog Talk Radio account. Saturday, July 27th, here in Orlando. If you've never heard me speak, or if it's been a while since you've heard me teach, and you'd like to come to sunny, fun Orlando, a lot of things to do, make plans for that Saturday, July 27th. Spend the day with us. You come in Friday, you can play. Sunday, you can play. Got a great deal at the Rosen Inn, Point Orlando. That's where the meeting will be held in the Magnolia Room. That's 9000 International Drive, Orlando, Florida. Call 8999-8585 to book a room. Or even if you just want to stay overnight now, go right back home, even if you're local, for the CSEE Conference, a Supernatural Explanation Event, $79 plus tax. That cutoff date for that deal is July 5th, so book your room now. If you'd like to let us know that you're coming, go to firefallmediagroup.com or our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash firefallmediagroup. Let us know so we can make sure we save you a seat. Praying that the attendance will be what it needs to be, that everyone that's supposed to be there will be there. Praying for the support for sponsorship. We're getting people sponsored that need to come, that want to come, families or uh, people that are coming from a long distance that need some help. So we are working on that. Now, if you're paying attention to the Middle East, you know there's a lot going on, especially in Syria and the ISIS militants and the awful things that they were doing, especially to Christians. But I have a praise report for them. 
Three years ago, the church in Syria was all but dead and predicted to never come back. But Open Doors Ministry has been working there. And guess what? God is resurrecting his church in Syria. He's responding to the prayers and the cries of the people around the world, and he's demonstrating his compassion, his ability, and his power to revive and restore. At a recent Open Doors retreat in the Lebanese mountains, a baptism opportunity was offered in the swimming pool. Sixteen men and women came forward to be baptized, committing to follow the Lord, follow Yeshua, follow Jesus in the 11th most dangerous country to be a Christian. According to Pastor David of the Evangelical Church here in my city, we now have four churches of mainly new believers. His congregation of 60 is the smallest church of the four. Also elsewhere in Syria, former Druze and former Muslims are turning to Messiah in significant numbers. But understand, following the Lord is going to turn their life upside down. Yes, they'll sing the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. But facing them is severe persecution. So please keep our brothers and sisters in the Lord in prayer. Pray ahead your protection around them and pray for more to get saved. I praise the Lord. I praise the Lord for being able to do that. It's exciting to be a part of his salvation plan. Praise the Lord for my home, for my wife, for our family, our furry kids, uh, all of our possessions, our grandson. Protection over us. I praise him for that. His This ministry that he lets me work, boy, do I really praise him for that, for the dreams and the visions and the revelations and just everything I'm learning from his word. And I'm, you know, I've been studying this now over 30 years and still learning, still gaining revelation and insight. I praise him that I am a new creation. I had to uh, think back on something to before I got saved and then getting saved. And even though it was 13 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, not 13, 30 years ago, I remember those moments and those experiences. They are indelibly imprinted on my mind and my heart. I praise him for living in a country that offered me that freedom without persecution. Do I believe we'll be persecuted in the days ahead? Absolutely. But right now, we are living in a country that allows us to worship him in spirit and in truth. I praise him for the signs that he's getting ready to come back. He's been telling us, he gave, it, he gave us the signs. We don't need to look to buildings or, or events. We know what the signs of the times are. I praise him for the favor and the revelation and the love and everything that he has bestowed upon us. I pray for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. I pray for the Middle East, for Israel, for the peace of Jerusalem, which of course means the Prince of Peace returning. I praise him and pray for the fatherless and the widows, the innocents, both in and out of the womb, the victims of injustice. Our brothers and sisters around the world are being slaughtered, persecuted for their faith, homes being burned, their places of worship being destroyed. I pray for and I pray against the slaughter of the innocents. I pray that our brothers and sisters in Israel would come to learn about Hamashiach, Messiah, and become complete in him. I pray for those victims of sex trafficking, the boys, the girls, the women, those that are still being enslaved by Hasatan and the fallen. You know, nothing has changed. It's just hidden better. I continue to pray for divine wholeness, health, and Healing for all of us. You know, we all suffer different things. I talk to some of you. I trade emails. I know in our life, there's just always something going on. But he is always available. His mercies are new every morning. So I pray right now for healing for all of you that are sick or injured or dealing with pain, whether it's emotional or mental or spiritual. I pray for a hedge of protection around you, that Psalm 91 covering for inspiration. Um, I pray each and every day for the remnant, those that are called to this time, those that are called to serve him in this time to wake up, to rise up, and to answer the call to action. There's a fierce war going on. 
It's been going on for a while, and it gets worse. The harvest is great. Labor is a few. Come on, remnant, wake up. If you've been blessed, be a blessing. Let's all prosper in accordance with his word so that we can fund the kingdom business he's called us to. Continue to pray for my wife, Debs, and I'm asking you to fervently commit to prayer for her healing and her restoration. Stacy in Texas says, I'm thankful for my family, furry kids, and like-minded believers in my life. Said we've made it through a year here in Texas. Signed a new lease this Monday. We're moving into a much nicer, more stable place. Please continue to pray for salvation, healing, and deliverance within my family. I'm still holding hope that we can make it to Florida this summer. Please pray for this to happen. There are also many people still suffering from the hurricane here. A friend of my cousin lost his mobile home, and he got a FEMA trailer, but now the rent is doubled, and he can't afford it, so they're taking it back. Yeah, great great FEMA. Many people are suffering, so continue to pray for them. May God bless us all, give us strength and courage and wisdom to be a light and to be used for his purposes. Kim in Fort Mitchell. At least she didn't say, hey, y'all. Um, I wonder how y'all sounds with the German accent. Anyway, she says, I love peaceful mornings like this. God, the baby, and I, no noise, no distraction. I'm grateful for mornings like this. It proves to me that I am changed and I do not belong to this world. There is no bond stronger, no connection deeper than this right here. I praise him. said, I learned a lesson. I used to not pray out loud when people are around me to not make them feel uncomfortable because I didn't feel like explaining myself. I'm not doing that anymore. That's people-pleasing and it's wrong. I will praise the Lord as long and as loud as I want to. My life feels like some in some kind of transition right now, like a shift. I praise him for teaching me to let go of bondage I wasn't aware I still held on to. Praise him for my children, this ministry, my dog Bruno, his protection, and all he provides for us. Father, please continue to provide for us, heal us, and deliver us. Heal us from things we don't know we need healing from because we became comfortable in dysfunction. Father, I'm praying... You protect your creation, the innocent, the children, the animals, the next generation. Save souls, Father. Point out, let me see what I can do today to shine your light, to make a difference. Provide for us, bless us, and favor us in Yeshua's name. That's really what it's all about. How do we be light? How do we become light in the darkness? How do we become salt? How do we be what he asked us to be? Help people open their eyes. Help them to see. So, Lord, we come before you in the name of Yeshua, the name above all names. We thank you, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you. You are our Abba Father, Papa, Daddy. You made us to love you and you love us, and we offer you that love in return. Thank you for the cross. We thank you for Yeshua. We thank you for making us redeemable and that his blood would wash us clean, and it did. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for shedding that blood. Every drop of it, the pain you endured, the suffering, and the torture to wipe away our sins. But we also thank you, for you are alive. Tomb is empty. You are sitting at the right hand of the Father in fullness and in power, far above all principality and power. And you have graced us and allowed us to sit with you in the heavenly places. So we come to you now. We clear our minds. We prepare our hearts to hear and feel what the Holy Spirit has for us. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us and walking us and encouraging us and forming us into the best that we can be for him. Lord, bless this time. Bless the technology. Bless this teaching and this word. And we thank you. Thank you is not enough, but we say it from our heart, from our mind, our soul, and our spirit. Thank you, and we love you in Yeshua's name. Amen.
These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So here we are again, still talking about walking in the Spirit, part 21. I don't think I've ever done anything in this many parts, but the Lord is built upon it. Line upon line, precept upon precept, getting us to understand Him and His Holy Spirit. See, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit, the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit of God, works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So we have to just look at this and accept it for what it says. Don't let preconceived notions that you have thought about or been put in your head to keep you about the Holy Spirit, to keep you from seeking and learning more and doing more. Yeah, I said this last week and it really struck me. Yeah, it's interesting you get struck by your own statements. Is to be your own book of Acts of the Holy Spirit for your life. Begin to create your testimony, your history of how the Spirit uses you. Because the kingdom of God needs you. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, what kind of shape you're in, what kind of shape you're not. I don't care how smart you are. None of those things matter because if you make yourself available to the Holy Spirit, he will use you and he will do what needs to be done through you. So we have the disciples. We have 120 people. They've been told by the Lord that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, wait. Tarry until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're going to receive power. You're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria until the end of the earth. They don't really know what he means. I mean, they know power. They saw him. They saw what he did. He rose from the dead. He performed miracles, came through walls, multiplied fish, blind sea, all those things. But he says to them, you are going to receive explosive, dunamis power. So what do they do? They go back to the upper room, the same place where they had the Last Supper. 120 people, partially hiding, partially waiting, mostly waiting. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They'd spent the time praying. They spent the time coming into a mindset of expectancy. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you've never felt that, I've got to speak one time in a church in the Caribbean on Grand Turk Island in the Turks and Caicos Islands. And it was just one of those special nights where as I began to speak and the Spirit began to move and the anointing began to bubble over, this wind came through the church, and everybody started looking around. Later on, I asked, was that, was that a breeze come off the ocean? And somebody said, no, there was no breeze outside. It was only in the church. Spirit moved, moved through there, touched people, changed people. We, we need some of that right now. 
We need a wind of refreshing that just blow through our homes and our offices and our vehicles just to begin to blow through us. And maybe other people will hear it too, like they did on the day of Pentecost. Maybe the Spirit will touch them. Because if you look at the movement of the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation, especially in the, in the, in the Old Testament part when it was a little different in its dispensation, when the Spirit moved onto somebody, like in the camp, and, and one of the prophets began to prophesy, and the Spirit began to move, it could hit anybody nearby. Just anybody. We need some of that. We need some of when you're walking through somewhere, and maybe you've been praising in your car, and maybe you're just filled, in the, and you just walk down the aisle of the supermarket, and people start laughing, or start crying in conviction, or just fall out. Maybe they hear an answer to prayer. Maybe they hear the Lord's voice. Maybe they feel something. We need to be light. We need to be refreshing. We need to be that in the world. On that 50th day after Passover, there they are. They're waiting in the upper room. They really don't know what they're waiting for. They they have an idea, but they don't know exactly what's going to happen. And then they get these extraordinary manifestations, this Phenomena of wind and, and the shaking and the earthquakes and then the tongues of fire that come down upon them. The gift of the Spirit. I've never thought about it till now. I wonder what those people in the room were thinking. As all of a sudden they hear this wind and they feel the earthquake and, they, and this roar and then the Spirit falls, and they can see other people being hit by what appears to be tongues of fire, and then they begin to prophesy and speak in other languages, and in a heavenly language, then they begin to do it. And then they spill out into the street where all these pilgrims are there for this uh, mandatory come-to-Jerusalem meeting, which turns out to be the birthday party for the church, and instead of getting gifts, they give gifts. So well, they got gifts from the Holy Spirit and from the Lord. But here they are. They invite all these people to their party. What an amazing event. And we have so trivialized it or commercialized it or turned it into something else. We need the purity of the Holy Spirit. We need the purity of what those people had that day. That when they opened their mouth, they couldn't speak in Aramaic. They couldn't speak in whatever their native language was. Maybe it was a heavenly tongue. Maybe it was one of the languages of the many people standing there. I don't know, but if, what were they thinking at that moment? We know Peter gets up to explain, basically interpret. We never hear what anybody else thought. Those other 119 people. These tongues resembling fire. Separated, distributed onto each one of them. Infusing them. Then they began to speak and become the voice of the Holy Spirit. Essentially what happened in the upper room that day was the Spirit spoke. There are some that say, well, it it was, uh, they were speaking normal everyday languages and it was, uh, it wasn't anything angelic or heavenly. It wasn't, you know, uh, gibberish or whatever you want to call it. But if you look at what it says in Acts 2 8, how is it that we hear each in our own language? How is it that we hear in our own particular dialect? doesn't say that they're speaking in our dialect. Hmm. God had something to say. The Lord had something to say. The Holy Spirit had something to say. And he needed somebody to say it through. We can't excuse it away. Oh, it was a miracle. They spontaneously spoke a foreign language to which they'd never studied or been exposed. And that's not miraculous? But they thought they were drunk. These are not drunk as you would suppose. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. 
well, what's really going on? Why would they think they were drunk? Well, because it was ecstatic. It was, it was uh, disjointed. It was unintelligible. It was like a bunch of drunk people came out of an all-night party and stumbled into the square. But they were drinking a new wine. So this was spontaneous for them. For some of you, when it finally happens, when you finally let go of control, when you finally say, are ready to receive it, you're not going to know what's happening. I, I didn't know what was happening. I took back control. I suddenly felt this electricity running through my lips and this heat in my hands and my, my body's quivering like a bad Elvis Presley imitation. My legs are shaking. Go to speak and I'm, I'm stumbling over my words and gibberish is coming out and I just took back control and it all stopped wasn't until I gave up control and I let go that he could move. Let go. Stop worrying about what people are going to think about you. Stop worrying about what the church is going to think about. Who cares? we got some lives to save. we got some people to set free. We need it, folks. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks this. But see, they, there was no surprise to them. And I got news for you. There was no surprise to the people in the crowd and what they were seeing. They'd heard the stories. They had read the stories of Moses and Sinai and Samuel and the other times where people had prophesied or spoke in an unknown language or in ecstatic utterances. The Lord told them to expect it. Go into the, all the world, preach the gospel in my name. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. And we know what the rest of it says. Paul especially knew, and that's why he's the one teaching about it. He studied under Gamaliel, the Pharisee of all Pharisees, one of the most famous rabbinical teachers. So he would have known about the Old Testament incidences of glossolalia. If you read the, my book, The Supernatural Battle, where I talk about this, the Lord warned about it. He says in Isaiah twenty-eight, eleven, For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. And yet they would not hear. The prophet Isaiah was already saying that God would speak through a people in a stammering, stuttering, unknown language that they would be criticized for, derised for, and the people wouldn't want it. They wouldn't hear it. So I've had people say to me, well, what you do is gibberish. That's, well, I guess you just confirmed that what I do is of the Lord. <coughs> it says it right there in Isaiah 28, 11. That's why when Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14, he refers back to it when he's teaching the church in Corinth on tongues. See, tongues is a sign. It's an edification to the believer, but it's a sign of judgment to the unbeliever. Now, why would Paul say that? Because on Sinai, when it happened, it was about the law. It was about judgment. When it happened on Pentecost, it was about grace. It was tied to a different covenant. On Sinai, God was the voice. From Pentecost to now, we are the vessels of the Holy Spirit's voice. If it had been a, a regular language, if the people in Isaiah's day, they weren't expecting to hear a a language that they knew. That's not what that scripture was about. It's not about the Assyrians or the Babylonians or any of those things. It was about a language that they did not know. And he was going to use the Gentiles to do it. Who does Peter quote 
on the day of Pentecost, Joel 2.28, it shall come to pass afterward, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Right now, where are you? I know you can't answer me, but where are you? Just where are you right now? He can pour out his spirit upon you right now, wherever you are. Even if you're driving, I've been hit by the spirit while driving and cried out to the Lord, let my flesh man keep control or my spirit man let's go. Wherever you are right now, he can pour out his spirit upon you. Your young sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants, my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. Those days are now. They started that day on Pentecost, but they aren't till now. They are until the Holy Spirit takes the church out of here. That's what the prophet Joel was talking about. That's what Peter was talking about. Last week we talked about Sinai and Pentecost being similar, tied together, but different. One about the law. One about judgment. The other about grace and a chance for everyone. Sinai, blackness, darkness, thundering, lightning, a a, a shofar that continues to get louder and louder and louder. The people who are afraid Moses is not too confident himself either. Don't come up here, only Moses. Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, everybody that can have it, you and your brother, to all that are afar, Jew and Gentile. See the difference? Sinai was legal. Pentecost is freedom and grace. But it's the same Spirit. It's the same Lord. It's the same God. Instead of the echoing voice of God from the top of a mountain, it's the voice of the Holy Spirit through 120 everyday unlearned people. He can even use a New York street kid who dabbled in the occult and did things he shouldn't have done and walked out on his family and did a whole lot. He can put that voice inside of him and change him. The tongues of fire, the communication of God, the power of speech, the boldness of utterance, the persuasiveness, the tongues of fire. Stephen had a tongue of fire. He created conviction. And to those he was confronting. Where? Where is that? Where is that voice? How do people go to worship in buildings and big mega events and their lives not change? How does the community around them not change? How does the nation they live in not change? I know it still works because nations are changing all around the world, but you get into the Western civilization, the United States, the United Kingdom, where everybody's too smart for their own good but too knee-deep in their sins. If ever there was a place that needed to hear the Holy Spirit, it was there. And the great thing about this upper room experience is a foreshadowing of it in the Old Testament. In Numbers 11... Moses is overworked. He needs some help. So the Lord says, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, which you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of the meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and put the same on them, and they shall hear the bur- bear the burden of the people with you. You may not bear it alone. So they consecrate themselves. They do exactly as they're told. And out of the 70, only 68 show up. And of course, the Lord comes down and does what he said he was going to do. Same spirit he placed upon Moses falls upon them and they begin to prophesy, which means they're speaking glossolalia, ecstatic utterances, all those things. But two men didn't come. They just didn't show up. Eldad and Medad. And guess what? Because they were supposed to be there, and that spirit was for them, it hit them where they were in the camp. So what we see here in Numbers 11 is that the concept of Pentecost, upper room, streets, 
centurion's home, wherever, the Spirit's going to touch and fall on whoever he wants to. He wanted Eldad and Medad, and they began to prophesy. They began to speak in, 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 a, in a heavenly tongue. They began to move around as if drunk, being ecstatic, all those things. And Joshua thinking, well, they weren't, they didn't show up, and I don't want them to uh, disrespect Moses, wants them to stop. He says, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And Moses says almost exactly what Paul says. He said, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit upon them. It's a foreshadowing of Pentecost. It's a foreshadowing of the upper room. Just like Paul saying, I wish you all spoke in tongues. I speak in it more than all of you, and I wish you did it too. That divine empowerment came upon those 70 elders, 68 in one place, two in another. See, he's done this before. He'll do it again, and he did. Remember, we talk about confirming the word with the word. Anything the Lord shows me, no matter how great the revelation or offbeat, he'll confirm it with his word. Anybody who says to you today that... All of this is gone. No, that's not biblical. God confirms himself with his word. He did it before. He'll do it again. And I read this rabbinic uh, statement about Eldad Medad, who didn't show up, but the Spirit fell on them anyway. This, the, uh, the saying was, whoever flees from leadership, leadership pursues him. The Holy Spirit's going to choose who he wants to choose. He's going to choose the leaders he sees fit. You may not think you're fit and you're worthy. You're not. He makes you worthy. We see that example in Acts chapter 6 when they need to choose deacons to help the disciples with the business of their burden of distributing the needs of the widows and the saints, and the Holy Spirit helped them do that. I think the problem we have right now in in his church, too much man control, too many opinions, and not enough Holy Spirit control. Even Saul, messed up, taller than any other, head and shoulders, probably seven feet tall, gorgeous Saul who had ego and arrogance and a temper. People wanted a king. He chose Saul. What does he do? He drops his spirit upon him in 1 Samuel 10. Samuel anoints him. Saul begins to prophesy. He's going to use who he's going to use. It happens again later on in 1 Samuel 19, where David's now been anointed. He's running from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. And you protect David, what does he do? Saul gets around prophets who are prophesying, and the Spirit jumps off of them, jumps onto him, and he begins to prophesy. But it goes one step further. In the symbolism of having his kingship stripped from him, Saul strips naked and starts rolling around on the ground. You know, he took this ecstatic thing a little far. Holy Spirit made an example out of him. See, that's what I mean. When the Holy Spirit falls, he falls. And when it's real, it's real. When you're around somebody and it's real, it jumps off on you. You pick up on it. When it's not real, you know it too. Why? Why did he do that with Saul? He knew what Saul was going to do. He knew the mess he was going to make. Saul had a job. And to do the Lord's job, he's going to equip and empower you. As I worked on this today, and, I'm, you know, these Bible studies, I share them with you, but they're really for me. Because the Lord begins to speak to me during those times. And I began to see how much more of him we need. How much less of us. We don't need more plans. We don't need more meetings. What we need is the Holy Spirit. See, I'm praying that this event in Orlando... On July 27th. I'll all be prepared and I'll have information you've never heard before. I will tie it together in the manner the Lord tells me to tie it together to bring you to a, a conclusion and a point where your eyes are open. But you know what I'm really praying? I'm really praying that I can't put two sentences together. 
I'm praying that the Holy Spirit shows up and is so thick in that hotel you can't move. I'm praying that the Spirit goes up and down the hallways and starts hitting people in the room and starts dropping them in the hallway and on the pool deck, gently, of course. I'm praying that we have a Book of Acts moment. I believe the Spirit is ready to set his dried-up church on fire. I believe he's ready to empower us and to fill us to change this world, a world that needs the fire of the Holy Spirit, the world that needs to hear the voice of God, needs to come under conviction, needs to have their hearts broken and know, like the men and women did on the day of Pentecost, what shall we do? Repent and be forgiven. But you know what's interesting about the Saul example? It shows us how when we disobey, he can take it away, too. You know, as the Lord began to show this to me today, I said, but wait a second, your, your word says that the gifts and the calling are irretrievable. And the Lord said, that's right. I don't, I don't take it back. You give it up. I thought about that. You know, I had an experience one time where I just knew the Holy Spirit was not around. I wasn't hearing him. I didn't feel him. Uh, it was an awful feeling, and I called up a brother of mine. And I said, hey, this is what's going on. What's what's happening? And he called me back, and he said, I don't know what you did, but you grieved the Spirit, and he pulled away. I said, well, what did I do? He said, the Spirit asked you to do something, and you outright told him no. So he just pulled away. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness and is subject to eternal damnation, a condemnation. Another version says, not in this age or the age to come. What is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? It's attributing the gifts of the Holy Spirit to Satan. Actually, I had somebody do that recently say that what I do for the kingdom of God and the things that I do are not of God, but are of the devil. Woe unto them. Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Hebrews 6.14, Hebrews 6.4-8, rather. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars and is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, if you walk away from the Lord, if you reject his salvation, go back to the law or just go back to the fallen world system, the Holy Spirit will pull away. And whatever gifts he gave you will no longer function because he won't be there to empower them. So Paul knew what was going on. He was trying to get the church in Corinth who were a little out of control with tongues and some of the other gifts because they had come out of the supernatural, the paranormal, the occult, whatever you want to call it. And they got a little caught up in overemphasizing those gifts. But he knew about all these things and he tried to explain it to them. Tried to explain it to them the concept of love. But he also clarifies something in that concept, in that teaching, in that clarification. 
1 Corinthians 13, 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. We look at 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, including tongues. And then in 13, he says tongues of men and tongues of angels. He makes a clear, clear distinction between the two types of tongues. It'll either be of an earthly language or of a heavenly language. I agree. No, I'm still here. Hold on. I'm just, I'm listening to something here. I know I agree. What do you think? Because if you don't agree, Spirit's not going to come show up and fill you. You're not going to lay hands on the sick. You're not going to speak in tongues. You're not going to cast out demons. Can the Spirit trust you? Can the Spirit use you? Will you yield to him and say, yes, Lord? Will you say, take anything out of me that interferes with with you doing this through me? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to believe in miracles and signs and wonders that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Are you going to believe that what they experienced on Sinai in the day of Pentecost is still available right now? Are you going to believe that he's as good as his word and he's not a practical joker and the Lord didn't lie and the disciples didn't propagate a false teaching? What are you going to believe? Whose report are you going to believe? That's what it's going to come down to. I can teach on this for weeks and hours on end, but unless you choose to believe, unless you choose, like the people in the upper room, the 120, to wait and to be ready and to want it, they didn't know what it was, but they wanted it. Until you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and are willing to believe. You want to figure it out on your own? You want to go through 12 steps, 15 steps, whatever. Maybe that's what it takes you to get to you the point where you go, you know what, Lord, I need you. I can tell you that speaking in tongues is mentioned 35 times in the Bible. 28 of which is in uh, Paul's first letters to Corinthians. I can tell you that it's a subject that makes the church uncomfortable. It's either denial or excess. I tell you people, foolish idea, when John the Apostle died, it ended, or when the church age was over, it ended, yet... I can tell you that there were church fathers and church leaders up till 2nd and 3rd century that were teaching on tongues, interpretations, and signs and wonders. It continued until man gave up control of his church to man, to government. I want to be a part of the Book of Acts church. I want to be part of that First Fruits church. I want to be part of that church that was probably the greatest harvest of souls we've ever seen. That's what I want to be a part of. I want to lay hands on the sick and they recover. Casting out demons, been there, done that, going to keep doing it. I want more. I want to do more. I'm tired of watching the news and seeing people do horrific things to children and to animals and to each other. You wonder, boy, the demons are busy. Boy, they they know their time's coming. They're getting ready. And if they can't hijack enough bodies to fill, they're convincing doctors to build them for them. They know their moment's coming. Why don't we know ours is coming? Why aren't we are why aren't we looking for that pillar of fire? Why aren't we looking for the return of the Lord? Whether it's the fire of judgment on Mount Carmel, or whether it's the fire in the upper room, whether it's the fire on Mount Sinai. See for me tongues of fire tells me the Lord's here. The Lord's speaking. He's got something to say. 
And if I'm not the mouthpiece he's going to use, then I've got to listen. Even after all this time, all the studying, all the praying, all the ways that he has used me, I am still desperate for more. I'm still desperate to go and do what he called us to do. There's nothing more heartwarming than seeing the freedom in somebody's eyes when they get set free of demonic bondage or they receive their miracle or they hear a word that they know only the Lord could have given them to encourage them or correct them. We need the voice of the Spirit in our lives right now. You need it. I need it. His church needs it. This nation needs it. We need a flickering, glowing ember of the Holy Spirit to fall upon people so that they'll cry out and repent for all the babies and the blood that they've spilled in the wombs of all these years. Time for the world to hear what the Lord was saying and what he was doing through his church. You know, the other question I came up with today as I worked on this, I I know why the denominations don't want people like me around. I mess up their game. I read their mail. I let people know that it's still available. But why is the enemy so threatened? by tongues and interpretation and prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit. I'll tell you why. The gifts of the Spirit, for the most part, are of a corporate nature. But tongues is a personal one. It's a direct flow of communication to and from God. The same voice that spoke them into existence could be the same voice that confronts them. The gifts of the Spirit and tongues made the disciples dangerous. We need to be dangerous again. The other thing that threatens them is because it fulfills John sixteen eight, When he has come, he being the paraclete of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Well, if people are going to get convicted, more than likely many are going to repent and the enemy is going to lose them. So those miraculous abilities that were shown on the day of Pentecost, which continue to flow today, would give us that dunamis explosive power to speak the gospel, to be a witness for Messiah. I mean, look at the disciples. Look at that early church. These were not learned, educated people. But they had knowledge and wisdom and and zeal and confidence and boldness. And they had a supernatural love because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. They were able to conduct themselves properly in front of angry rulers to confound them with their words. In Peter's case, drove them crazy enough to stone them to death. A Galilean fisherman, a brawler, a loudmouth Peter stood up in front of all these people and gave one of the greatest gospel messages the world has ever heard. You think he was making notes and preparing for that in the upper room? I doubt it. He confounded them and took away their unity of language on when the Tower of Babel was built to confuse man. But then on Pentecost, he gave them his language, his tongue, and he gave it to his people to be a voice for him. One voice. Oh, I get why the enemy hates it. I've had confrontations, especially of late, that even quoting scripture in English has done nothing. I had one recently of the, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mock me. Repeat back what I was saying. And then I began to speak to him in my heavenly language. And he grunted and departed. Couldn't talk back to that. That was the voice of the one who spoke him into existence. 
And even 35 biblical texts that refer to glossolalia, there's no mention anywhere that these people babbled or that the word used to describe them was like babbling. No. It was an ecstatic utterance with a voice from the throne room inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I can see why the enemy is afraid of it. It unifies people. It edifies them. It encourages them. It empowers them. Yeah, I can see why the, the enemy is afraid. I think that I see why he doesn't want entire denominations to accept it. But the great thing about fire is if the wood's dry enough, all it needs is a spark. We need to start spreading the fire. You know, you look at that California fire, look at every great wildfire. It just starts in a small area, and then the wind gets a hold of it, and it just sets everything on fire. We need the wind of the Holy Spirit to get a hold of our fire. We need it to take places that people need it that are desperate for it. Maybe you know those people. Who knows? Maybe you're living there. Maybe it's dry where you are. You need to pray for the wind of the Spirit to bring a burning ember to you, to your husband, to your wife, to your son, to your daughter. Maybe it will convict those that are unsaved. Say, I am committed. Well, some people would like to have me committed, but I am committed now even more so than ever before. To burn as hot and as bright and as strong as I possibly can. To heal those that need to be healed. To set free those that need to be set free. To drive off the enemy. To be a light in the darkness. In unrelenting, no mercy attitude towards the enemy. But grace and love and compassion to those that are lost and dying and hurt. to burn as bright and as hot and as long as I can until the Lord comes back. What about you? Father, speak to your children. Speak to them. I can convince them. I can give them logic. I can give them pages of notes, but you are the best at this, Holy Spirit. This is where you excel. Take away the condemnation. Take away those areas of their life that they've kept hidden in a box, in a closet, deep inside of them for so long that they're afraid that if if they let you in, you're going to open that up. You're going to expose them. Let them know that you already know. Now, the best thing that they could do is to let you blow through there and clean it out. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak into our lives. Speak into our souls and our spirit and our bodies, our minds, our families, our homes. Resonate over us with the song of the throne room, with the shout of joy. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We want it. We say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Let us hear you say, I love you. I love you, child. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Speak into the darkness and the cracks. And right now, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, let every unclean thing that has no place within the sound of his voice flee. Flee quickly. Go, go into the dry and inhabited places of the earth and never return. Now fill them. Fill them to overflowing. Each and every one of them. I pray that you'll wake people up in the night singing over them. I thank you for how much you love them. I just pray all these things 
in Yeshua's name. Amen. You know, I can only do so much. I'll do all that I can, but you have to do the rest. You have to be willing to be open and transparent and bear before the Lord. Let him take what he needs to take. Let him do what he needs to do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn. Learn smarter.